this light was shining over my shoulders. I began to see a small, bright, brilliant glow that got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's the brightest thing you can imagine, but I could look at it. And I never, ever wanted to leave. 64.6% .6 of near-death experiencers describe an unearthly, beautiful, mystical light. They feel overwhelming love. It's sort of like a million times a million of any love they ever felt on Earth. They did see the magnificence of just the light shining forth in everything, bringing life to everything. And the light was not just something you would see. This was really a light born out of love. Well, today we are talking about the God of light and love. And have you ever thought about, you know, how much humans crave love? I mean, just think about the millions and millions of love songs written over the centuries. I mean, think about how relationship and love motivates most of what we do, right? And yet there is a painfulness about love on planet earth, right? I mean, if there weren't, we wouldn't even have country Western music. We wouldn't have breakup songs. We wouldn't have any Taylor Swift songs, right? We also wouldn't have about a 50% divorce rate. I mean, there's something strange about this craving we have to be loved and known and accepted, and yet the universal human struggle to give and receive it. Why is that? Well, you know, C.S. Lewis, an Oxford scholar, once said this, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. And then Lewis says, if I find in myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You know, what if our deep craving, our deep desire to be unconditionally loved and known and accepted that never gets fully satisfied on this planet is because we were made, you were made for another world. Well, you know, over the last 30 years, I have studied thousands of cases of clinical death where people have been resuscitated by modern medicine and they've come back talking about this God of light all across the globe who loves them with an unconditional love, knows them better than anybody. And in this God's presence, they say things like, I was home. I was finally home. But who is this God of light and love? You know, ha has this God only revealed himself in our century through these near-death experiences? No. And I've come to believe that the same God has been revealing himself for over 4,000 years, as long as there's been written human history. God wants to be known for all who pay attention to that craving that never gets filled, for all who really seek their creator, he can be found. And I hope you find that today. You know, I wanna share with you uh, what I've learned over the years of, of what God's been revealing to us through the Jewish prophets and through Jesus for over 4,000 years, but also how modern science through these near-death experiences are con confirming what God has always revealed. So first, all across the globe, 
indie ears, near-death experiencers say God is light. But all the way back in 1500 BC, God appears to Moses as this brilliant light in, in a bush that wouldn't burn up. And then in about 600 BC, uh, Ezekiel, a Jewish prophet, has this vision of heaven and sees God high above on the throne. He says, was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up looked like glowing metal as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day was the radiance around him. And this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. See, the Jewish prophets see the same brilliant God of light reveals himself as Yahweh, sometimes appears as this brilliant man uh, of light. In fact, Daniel, uh, a, a Jewish prophet living in Babylon in modern day Iraq, uh, in about 450 BC, writes this. And notice specific history, specific dates. On April 23rd, Daniel says, I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River. I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze. His voice roared like a vast multitude of people. See, this God of light has actually been revealing himself for thousands of years before any of the world's religions were formed, which most were formed around 500 BC. And yet all the way back in 2000 BC, God says to, to Abraham, Abraham, through you and your wife, Sarah, I'm going to create a nation, the Jewish nation, to be a blessing to all the nations. How? through this Jewish Messiah, who he said would come to die and pay for the sins of all the people. And all this was foretold by the Jewish prophets, like Isaiah. Like Isaiah writing in 680 BC, and Isaiah 9 says, there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is a Jewish monotheistic society, and yet here the one true God, it says, will reveal himself as a child, as a son, and come to Galilee. And Jesus lived and taught in Galilee and said things again and again like this. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus' disciples said at one point he was up on a mountain and he was transfigured and become, became more brilliant than the sun. And John, one of Jesus' disciples, claims he saw Jesus risen from the dead and in Revelation writes this, he was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in the furnace. His voice thundered like the mighty ocean waves. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. What's amazing is this is the same God that when people have these near-death experiences, they are experiencing all over the globe. Like Simran in India, who died in a bus crash says, then a brilliant light appeared, which had a soft male voice that said, 
you will leave everything behind, your loved ones, your hard-earned awards, money, even your clothes. You will come to me empty-handed. The light also gave me an important message and told me to remember it. The accident rendered me disabled to this day. When people see me smiling, they wonder why I have a glow on my face. It's the glow of God. I feel very homesick. I have to live this life and obey the message until he calls me back. He only had love for me. It's very hard, but I'm trying my best to spread the love and peace God has for all of us. Now think about that. This is incredibly strong evidence. Indians, uh, I discovered, but also studies done between people who've had near-death experiences in India and the United States found Indians don't experience the God or gods of the Vedas, their scriptures, they experience the God of the Bible. People all around the world experience the same God. Just like Paul wrote in Romans 10, for there is no difference between Jew or Gentile. There's no difference in nationalities or cultures. The Lord, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Even atheists who didn't expect to find anything on the other side cried out to Jesus and, and found him. Howard was an atheist college professor who by his own admission uh, had denied God completely, lived for self. He said he wasn't a good husband or father. He lived to build his own kingdom. He was taking a tour of France when his duodenum ruptured in his stomach. He couldn't get surgery in time. He dies in that hospital. And at first he had a hellish NDE, which we're gonna talk about more in depth in week five. But Howard finds himself in this outer darkness, just like Jesus describes. And by the way, these people, this experience is as real today as it was back then. So it's very emotional for them still. But listen to what Howard dis discovered about this God of mercy and light as he calls out to him. There's no hope, there's no way out. And I, I am in the um, bottom of the pit of hopelessness and despair and self-pity, whatever. In that, this memory comes of myself as a little boy sitting in a Sunday school classroom singing, Jesus loves me. And I could see myself vividly so innocent, so sweet, so naive, simple, and feeling what I felt when I was like a little boy, like maybe eight or nine years old or whatever. Jesus loves me, this I know. That's what I kept hearing over and over again. But I had put all and put that all away behind me, beside me, and denied it all and mocked it all. And, um, and now all of a sudden, it was all I had. I had nothing else. I'm, scra I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel of what might be possible. So uh, I thought about that too, and I thought, he, why would he care about me? Even if he is, why would he care? He must hate me. I'm so sorry. And I thought, enough of this. I'm done. I don't have anything else. Jesus, please save me. And when I said that, I saw a light, tiny little speck of light, and it very rapidly got very bright and came over me. And I saw out of the light, 
hands and arms emerge out of this impossibly beautiful white light, I was experiencing a love that is beyond, far beyond words. If, if, I, I've never been able to articulate it, but I can say that if I took all my experience of love in my entire life and could condense it into a moment, it still wouldn't begin to measure up to the intensity of this love that I was feeling. And those arms went on me and healed me. They went behind my back and he picked me up as if it was no effort on his part. He just gently picked me up and held me up against him real tight, up against his chest. So there I am, with my arms around him, his arms around me, and I am bawling like a baby, and I am slobbering and snotting and drooling with my head buried in his chest, and he starts to rub my back. Like, he wasn't saying there, there, but it was just like, like a mom or a dad with a child. And I knew, I don't, I don't know how I knew, but I knew that he loved me very much, just the way I was. Later in this experience, we did a life review and he made perfectly clear, clear what he did not like. And I can safely say despised, hated, detested about my, what I had done with my life, but he always loved me. And the reason why he didn't love what I did was because it detracted from who I was meant to be. You know, no matter what you have done, that's true for you too. That God may not like what you've done, what I've done, but he loves you unconditionally. And just stop and think about it. What could motivate this tenured college professor from coming back from this experience in France, two years later, he leaves his tenured professorship to become a Christian pastor. His wife, who's still an atheist, divorces him because she thinks he's crazy. What could motivate that? Only the love of God. And God is love. Indie ears say it, but it's what the Bible has said all along. All around the globe, when people experience this God of light, they say, this God loved me with a love beyond words. And now Christians might hear that and they may think, well, why would Hindus or, or Buddhists or people who don't even believe in Jesus experience the God of the Bible? Because he loves them. He loves them just as much as he loves you. 500 times in the Bible, God speaks to all the nations. Everything he's always done through Jesus was for all people of all nations. But another important thing is just because people experience the God of light and love does not mean they're right with that God. Case in point, Saul, you know, who became Paul. Uh, Saul was a Jesus hater. He was killing Christians. When on the Damascus road, it says this in Acts 9, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He knew this is God. The voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Now notice something here. This, this God of light and love who turns out to be Jesus doesn't tell Paul what to believe. He doesn't explain the gospel to him. He tells him, you'll be told 
what to do. And Jesus leads Ananias, a man, to come to Paul and explain all that Jesus had done to die to pay for Paul's sins, that he could be forgiven, that he could be set right with God. Jesus doesn't tell him that. And Paul still has a choice. This is very important. Relationship with God is a gift. It's free. Heaven is a, is a free gift. You know, next week we're going to talk about the life review and how what we do really matters. But what we do does not earn us relationship with God. It's free for anybody who wants it. But you have to choose it. Paul still had to choose. And he did. But in the ears who see the God of light and love, they still have a choice. They must come back and choose where they will seek and follow God. And let me ask you, have you chosen? You know, ha have you accepted God's gift of forgiveness and loving relationship that he paid for through Jesus? You know, God's justice met God's unconditional love on the cross. Jesus paid to make a way that all can be forgiven if they simply turn back to God because of what Jesus did. And Howard and, and many others had a second chance, but don't think we're all gonna have a second chance because near-death experiencers talk about a border or a boundary they knew they couldn't cross and still come back to earth, which means once they cross that border or boundary, they enter true eternity. And at that point, our choices are eternalized. So don't wait to choose God. Now is the time. In Revelation 1.7 says everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. Even those who nailed him to the cross are going to see him. So it shouldn't surprise us that people see him who don't yet know who he is. Many come back and they discover who he is. You know, like Paul, like Howard, like many I've known, but others don't. But regardless, God is love. It's what he's been revealing all along, all the way back in Moses' day, 3,500 years ago, the Lord passed in front of Moses on the mountain calling out Yahweh, the Lord, here's who I am, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to thousands of generations. I forgive iniquity, sin, rebellion, but I do not excuse the guilty. This is exactly what Howard experienced this unfailing love, but he doesn't just excuse our bad actions. No, he paid for them so that all who turn to him can be forgiven so we can follow him. Why? So that in relationship with God, we can reach our full potential to truly become the loving people we were meant to be. Do you realize how much God loves you? And that you can't become the person he intended you to be apart from relationship with the source of love. Jesus demonstrated God's great love. And he explains this to Nicodemus, the Pharisee, in John chapter 3. Jesus said, the son of man, referring to himself, must be lifted up on the cross. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the whole world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because we all know we've turned away from God. We've done, we've done wrong. 
You know, Jesus' love for you is something he wants you to experience right now. You know, not to, to where you have to wait for heaven. That's why his last night on earth in John 15, Jesus said, I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Now remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And I've told you these things so that you may be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Now, Dean Braxton had kidney stones that ended up turning sepsis. His heart stopped beating. He died for one hour, 45 minutes, and he has medical proof of it. And yet he came back to speak of the joy of experiencing God's unfailing love. Watch this. I came in on grass. There was flowers around. Um, there were animals around. It's almost like I was gliding, like uh, on a people mover that you have in the airport or something like that, you know? And I, I remember uh, going up to the trees and then the trees just started opening up for me. And there was a pathway that was laid before me and I just went on that pathway. And as I went through the forest, it seemed like everything in the forest was saying to me, he's going to see the king, he's going to see the king. And when I got on the other side of the forest, that's when I saw Jesus Christ. Christ. He was real bright, you know, um, you know, brighter than any light I've ever seen, even the sun. And probably what amazed me is I could look at him because I was used to, if I looked, tried to look at the sun or some bright light, my eyes couldn't handle it. But I could see right to him and he was glowing. And when I went up to him, I, I didn't, I just didn't look at him in the face. I bowed before him and I looked at his feet. And he was standing in a field and, and before him, I don't know if it was thousands or millions or billions of, of what I call beings. They were uh, creations of God. Um, they were some were angels and some were uh, people that had been on this planet Earth. And I looked at his feet and when I looked at his feet, you know, all I could think of, you know, you did this for me. I was so grateful, so happy, you know, so joyful that he would do what he did so I could be there. And after I said, you did this for me, the next words that came out of my mouth were, thank you, 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 thank you. And then the next thing I realized is I was looking at his feet and his feet were a bronze kind of color, almost like a metal color, but there was more than that. It was more beautiful than you can imagine. And I remember thinking to myself, his feet loved me. And it was like I was, literally receiving the fullness of the love of God through the feet of Jesus. And at that moment, I didn't want to look at anything else. I did look at the rest of him, but at that moment, I just wanted to receive that love that was coming through his feet. And I remember then started looking up and every portion of him was loving me. His entire being loved me. And what got me was he only loved me. I knew he loved others, but it seemed like he only loved me. He kind of just um, said things to me telepathically and all kinds of stuff, more than I, I could even express. One of the things I really uh, um, probably came across really is how much he really loves people on this planet, which has put a drive in me to do what I'm doing right now. Um, the other thing that took place is for some reason I was there when we were all called to come around the throne of God where the Father was and give him praise. Even though they were separate, they were one. And it's hard to describe that um, to anybody is because it's like we're so used to, especially in, in the ministry, you know, we're looking at the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we say they're, they're one God, but in three different personalities. No, they're one, period, you know. And even though I looked at Jesus and I looked at the Father over here, 
they were still one. You know, it was not no separation at all to me, you know, and so that even changed how I look at things. And that was a great experience to go through that, to see everything in heaven come around that throne and literally lift our voices in love to him to tell him how much we love him and how he received each and every song as though I was the only one or the next person next to me was the only one singing to him. You know, it wasn't like he looked at it as a collective group coming together and singing to him. He looked at it as you coming to sing to me. And that was a great experience. I mean, think about that. It's you. God sees you and in his presence, you will feel like you're the only one he loves. It's so personal to him. And I'm gonna do an extended interview with Dean uh, tonight at 7.30 right here. You can come back and hear about a 45 minute interview and then we'll chat, q and I'll answer your questions. Or you can hear more of Dean's and all these stories by joining a What's Afterlife group um, out on our, on our website and hear more of them and discuss them. But God is light, God is love, and God is personal. You know, people don't experience an impersonal force. They experience a personal God all over the globe. And, and just, just think about that. Our personalities, you know, our, our, our humor, uh, our, our creativity, our love for adventure, our every pleasure, that all comes from God. You know, we're created in his image, not the other way around. So God is even more personal than we are which means God knows you better than you know yourself. God is like, you know, brother, sister, father, mother, spouse, lover, all in one, best friend, which may sound weird, but that's just because we so distorted the image of God to make him less personal than we are. But God has revealed a personality for thousands of years. He, he expresses how he has feelings. Yeah, to Jeremiah the prophet, writing... Um, you know, in, in about four or 500 BC, he says this, I thought to myself, I would love to treat you as my own children. I wanted nothing more than to give you this beautiful land, the finest possession in the world. I look forward to you calling me father. I wanted you never to turn from me. You hear the longing of his heart, but you've been unfaithful to me. Like a faithless wife who leaves her husband, the heartache, God feels you know, as we'll see next week in his life review, Howard Storm experienced the feelings of God, the joy of God when we do things out of a motive to love God and to love others, the hurt of God when we turn from him and we hurt one another. God is personal, which means that God gets you. He gets your humor, you know? I mean, God laughs at your jokes. We don't get them, he gets them. God understands your struggles, your hardship, your temptation. You realize this, you can go to him with all of it. It says that in Hebrews 2 and chapter four, it says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. It was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful, faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we're being tested. Jesus understands our weaknesses. 
for he faced the same testings we do, all the same, and yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it most. Isn't that an amazing promise? It's true. God understands you. He understands your struggles, your weakness, your temptations, the hardships. And, and, and he merged himself with his creation out of love because he wants to help us. He wants to help you through it. Do you talk to him about everything, even the temptations, even the struggles? Let him help you through it. God is personal. And he's so personal that he enjoys life with us. It says in Isaiah 62, God will rejoice over you like a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Think about that. God rejoices when you enjoy life, including him in it. You know, I remember, you know, I, I love to surf. I grew up surfing. And there's just something, you know, just mystical about the power of energy just moving through the ocean and riding it. And uh, I remember when I was still single, I think I was in my 20s, and one day it was perfect waves. And I start calling all my friends, you know, see who can go, and no one could go. And I was all bummed. And then I had a thought, uh, go with God, you know, via con Dios, right? <laughs> go with God. And... Uh, I, 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 I thought to myself, well, God created the waves. God created me. God created my ability to enjoy it. Why wouldn't he enjoy it with me? And so I did. I, I drove down to the beach. I talked to him all the way. I talked to him about every ride. I celebrated him with him. And I truly felt a sense of his pleasure in me enjoying it. Now, I'll be honest. I've always wondered, was that just kind of a, like a naive, silly uh, belief that God would actually enjoy me surfing until I met Heidi. Uh, Heidi had always believed in God despite a, a very rough growing up. Um, by the way, you can go hear Heidi's full story out on our website. I interviewed her last week. Um, but she discovered that this God she believed in and Jesus were one. But listen to what they did together and how he enjoyed it. Watch. I grew up in Council Bluffs, Iowa, in a Jewish family. My dad had a mantra. Jesus Christ is the biggest hoax ever perpetrated on mankind. Christians are idiots for having hope. Your life has less significance than the smallest speck of dust in this infinite universe. We were in an accident where another horse ran into my horse. She reared up, flipped over backwards with me on her back, and fell across my body. As she hit my chest, I immediately left my body. I was up 30, 40 feet in the air. I just left. I knew I was dead. And as I was up there, I noticed that even though it was a cloudy day, this light was shining over my shoulders. There was a light over my shoulders and it was illuminating everything in front of me. And I realized there was a person standing right there and he moved forward and he was standing, we were up in the air, but we were standing. and. Uh, he is standing right next to me, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and it's like, oh, Jesus, oh, hey. <laughs> it's like, how you doing? I knew that I had known him my entire life. It was not a surprise. I was not shocked. I was not thinking, what is a nice Jewish girl like me seeing Jesus? Why am I seeing Jesus? No, I knew this man. I knew him. And um, he, he was smiling at me. We were 
talking, but I mean, it's not like my mouth was moving, but I know we were talking. And he very quickly showed me my life. I didn't have a whole lot to see because really and truly I was a good kid. And he, he, uh, I saw him from the time I was formed in my mother's womb, he had been with me. He had always been with me, all my life. And, um, you know, just when I used to talk to God at night when I was a little kid, he'd been there, that he'd been there sitting by my bed. I saw that. After this life review, and I was no longer really looking at the ground, he took my hand and we flew. We surfed. I didn't go through a tunnel. A lot of people, I've heard people say they go, went through a tunnel. No tunnel. It was like we had this wave of light under our feet, and I know my feet were bare because I could feel the wave of light under my feet. And it was pushing us forward, and we were holding hands and flying like Superman and Lois Lane. So faster and faster and faster, I saw a light. And it was getting closer and closer, and it was, it's a living light. And it's the brightest thing you can imagine, but I could look at it. And you would think it would burn you, but it doesn't. It's perfect. It's blemishless. And it takes up, that light took up my entire field of vision. It was infinite in its scope, but it was alive. And that light was love. And Jesus took me directly into the light. And the next thing I knew, I find, found myself sitting on God's lap. And I have a granddaughter, a two-year-old granddaughter. And you know, if she needs comforting or she wants to be held, she, she'll sit on my lap and bury her, her face in my chest and I'll put my arms around her and she'll, she'll have her arms around me. That's what I was doing. I was like a little kid. I was sitting on God's lap and I buried my face against his chest and I put my arms around him and he had his arms around me and I never, ever wanted to leave. I didn't want to leave. I just wanted to sit there forever and be held by God. And it's, I can't explain how God can be a light and God can be a man and God can be love. I, I can't explain it. I can't. But that's what I experienced. You know, three years ago, Heidi saw me on the news talking about this and she reached out to me and we started talking over the next six months about the Jewish prophets and what they had said about Jesus. And she had always believed in Jesus since that time, but she got baptized for faith in Jesus. She still considers herself Jewish, but she got baptized for faith in Jesus when she realized that this is what the prophets have been saying all along. She did because above all else, God is relational. God wants relationship. And the reason God doesn't force himself on us, the reason God doesn't tell everything to these near-death experiencers about who he is and what they must do is because God wants us to seek relationship because relationship can't be forced. We have to seek it on our own free will. But that's what God wants most with you is relationship. It's why he created you. It's why he created all of us. And the problem in, of this world is that he created us with the free will to be able to choose relationship with God. But all of us have at one point chosen our own will and ways. We've gone our own way rather than seeking God and seeking God's will and ways. And yet again, God's unconditional love meets God's justice to pay for all that 
so that anyone who turns back to him can have relationship with him. This is what Jesus was explaining his last night on earth when he said this in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. He told him he was going away. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas, one of the disciples said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Why? Because they're one. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Those who seek God sincerely are seeking Jesus. They may just not realize it yet, like Heidi. You know, but at the same time, uh, Jesus said the father is always drawing people to himself. Look what uh, Jesus said in John chapter six. Jesus answered, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, all, they will all be taught by God. And everyone who has heard the father and learned from him comes to me. But Jesus also said this. So that's like Heidi. She, she heard the father. She was seeking him and she came to him. But Jesus also said this in Luke 10, whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. In other words, if someone hears all this and isn't even willing to consider all this evidence for what God has done through Jesus, that we can know God in a way that we can relate to, and yet they just blow it off. Jesus says, then in reality, you're just blowing God off. You're not really wanting to know or seek God at all. Next week, when we talk about the life review, we're going to talk about how we were meant to go through life in relationship with God. In fact, you ever wondered, what's my purpose? Well, we're gonna talk about how you can know and live your purpose next week, so don't miss it. But practically, how do we live this stuff out? Well, again, Jesus taught us to pray, Father, your will be done on earth through me as it is done in heaven. So if God is light and love and personal and relational, how can we then live this out? Well, first, start a relationship with God if you don't have one. You know, uh, maybe this is all brand new to you. Well, then seek. Take the time. Go watch all these. Uh, read the Bible. Re start with the, with the teachings of Jesus in the book of John. You know, get a modern translation on your phone or on, on your computer and start reading. Uh, and, and discover who Jesus was and what he revealed. And you know, if you're ready to start a relationship with God and, and you haven't had confidence with that, pray with me today. Your heart turning back to God is all he needs. And he says, it's a gift. No one can ever take you away from him. Second thing is grow in friendship with God. You know, if you've accepted this free gift of relationship, well, God didn't mean for it to stop there. He wants you to grow as a friend of God. Think about that. I mean, he said to Abraham, Abraham trusted him and God called Abraham his friend. You know, think about it. All friendship develops with time spent together and trusting one another more and more. That's what faith is, trust. And, and so do you spend time with God? Do you read the Bible to know more about him, to know more of his promises? And then do you 
trust his promises. The more you trust him, the more you're gonna see God involved in your life, the more you're gonna realize I am a friend of God. And then third, bring light and love, bring the light and love of heaven to earth. You know, start to ask, even this week, God, how can I show more of your light and your love to the people around me, to my family as we're all shut in together, uh, to, my, to my neighbors, to people online, to my coworkers, maybe you haven't seen in a while, reach out to them. And, and how can you bring light? You know, we live in a dark world. Man, guys, I'm hearing more and more people who are feeling so isolated and alone right now and depressed or anxious or even suicidal. You can bring light. You know, God uses Ananias, people that he nudges to go to others and show and tell, show the love of God and tell them about the love of God. Invite them to come to gatewaychurch.com and what's after life and, and, and experience this series. Listen to the past messages. Invite them to come and watch them online with you each Sunday. Or why don't you start a group? Go to gatewaychurch.com, continue the conversation. Host a group to talk about this. Bring the light and love of God personally, relationally to the world around us. Well, let's pray together. God, thank you that you haven't left us in the dark. You've been revealing your great love for us all along. But God, forgive us that the truth is we get just so consumed with our own will and ways and trying to get what we think we need to do to be loved done. We forget about you. We don't always seek you. But God, thank you that you made it so easy. And some of us right now, we're ready to start that relationship with you. And if that's you, just say to him right now in your heart, God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for what you did for me through Jesus dying on the cross. I accept your free gift. Thank you, God, that that is all it takes for us to be made right with you forever. And now God, help us be more like you that we might bring your light and love and, uh, and kindness and mercy and compassion to the world around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.